Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 130. Uh, I don't know why I said that like it's a milestone. It's not really a milestone number, is it? 130. I thought you were doing like bingo or something. <laughs> I don't know what that is. A giraffe, a sideways bum and an egg. It's 130. I don't know. I've never been like, it's cool now, isn't it? It's a go to Mecca bingo halls, but I still haven't been to one. So I don't really know how it works. The only time I've actually done um, a bingo was a British wrestling company did a bingo, like wrestling themed bingo thing about five years ago. That was quite good fun. So I went to that, but I haven't done it properly. I'm not a true bingoer. Uh, by the way, I'm Mel. This is Elle. How are you doing, Elle? <laughs> I'm all right, thanks. I've just had some cake, which is great. What kind of cake? Uh, it was a fancy cake. I got them in the post from a friend. And it was some kind of cake sandwich. It was a small circle of cake with some kind of cream in and another kind of circle of cake on top of it. And it tasted like sugar. That sounds amazing. Sandwich and cake in the same sentence. Living the dream. Um, have you done how anything? Are you? I forgot to ask how you were. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. I've had. I'm starting. I had a relatively busy week this week. I went into London a couple of times. Um, did some bits and bobs. Still being very careful, of course, and not treating the world like normal. But it was nice to be in London and just kind of see a bit of normality. I was in Shoreditch and uh, it's just little things like seeing all the kind of creative graffiti around and just all those things that you're kind of used to seeing if you're around a big city a lot because it's been so long. I was just like, oh, look at all this stuff. It's really cool. Look at these big buildings. They're cool. Oh. I do worry about like seeing the same four walls every day and what it's doing to my brain, you know? Like, yeah, it is weird. I mean, Having I've, no stimuli. It is... Uh, it, I think that's what it made me realise, really. I'm just like, wow, there's stuff. Although I'm quite lucky. Around here, I've got, like, a lot of greenery and stuff. Some people don't have that. So You've I got sheep and up. shit. Yeah, I've got sheep, got some cows, got some quite metal-looking sheep around here as well. They're quite cool. So it was a lovely time. I'll tell you what I did see the other day. This is just a tangent. It just came to mind. Have you ever seen the Mamma Mia films? No. Right. I was watching Mamma Mia 2 the other day. First time I've seen either of them. And... I'm not a big on musicals at the best of times, right? Because it annoys me that they never really make a very smooth segue into like doing the songs. Like there should always be a reason for them singing the songs. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just you randomly bursting out. When you go to a metal show and they've got a song and it's something like, I don't know, showered in blood or something. And then the singer goes, there's a little segue and he goes, I'm feeling very dirty right now. What I really need is to be showered in blood. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Arch Enemy always do that, don't they? They're like, yeah. when we are together, we will rise. You kind yeah. of want that smooth thing, right? But in this fucking film, Mamma Mia 2, um, I don't even know what the plot was. Something about a family and there's a load of dads and they're all in Greece for some reason. I don't know why they are. And near the end of the film, totally randomly, fucking Cher turns up. And she just likes, they're all kind of at this like harbour side party thing. And Cher just turns up and gets off a boat and everyone's like, oh, it's Cher. Well, obviously I don't say that. They're like, oh, grandma or whatever. Like she plays someone's grandma in the film. Um, and then they all sing a song about her. So she does some kind of like big ABBA tune. Um, did I mention it's an ABBA musical? I can't remember. It's an ABBA musical, uh, Mamma Mia. Um, and then <laughs> what makes me laugh is that how they must have put this in. So after they've done Cher's song, it's literally about 20 seconds later and this random dude walks out into the crowd and Cher looks at this dude and she goes, Fernando! And he goes, my love! And then they just start singing Fernando by Abba and like everyone starts going, it was something in the air at night. The stars were... And I was like, 
there is no fucking plot device for this guy. He's got no character arc. They've just bunged him in at the end. Like they realized they had like 10 minutes to fill and they're like, oh, have we done Fernando yet? No, we haven't done Fernando. What can we do? Uh, stick a dude called Fernando in it? <laughs> Fine. Fine. I was so annoyed about it. I was like, ah. I think maybe. First thing I was watching get... this with, I was like, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. And she was just like, oh, well, I think you need to get out a bit more into London and look at some more murals <laughs> instead of just watching ABBA musicals. Mate, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. Like, make musicals make sense. That's all I'm asking. If you're going to introduce a song, have a reason for it. Introduce a plot device or something that just fucking makes sense and makes something out of it. Why haven't we had a proper metal musical yet? We've had, there's like Meatloaf, obviously, like the Meatloaf one, the Bat Out of Hell musical. I've been to that. That's quite metal in terms of aesthetics, but it's not, and obviously like Meatloafy music, but it's not like, I don't know, surely like Metallica or Judas Priest or Iron Maiden or something could do an amazing musical. Yeah, I mean, maybe just the audience isn't that kind of big. And it's quite a hard thing to... I mean, Green Day did one, didn't they? Yeah. I don't, think, I don't know if that ever came to the UK, but Green Day did one. It did one. come to the UK. I was working at another magazine and we all had tickets to go and see it and I had to work late and couldn't go. Oh, no. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess if you think about Green Day, if you go see... No, no matter who you are, if you go see a Green Day musical just for something to do, there's probably a good chance you heard the song American Idiot because that was just so massive when it came out, wasn't it? Like, it was yeah, it's huge. And no metal bands really had that. I guess if Slipknot, Slipknot had like, you know, what's, what's wrong, Corey? Or whatever the character is. What's wrong, Brian? Oh, I don't know, man. You know, sometimes when you're just so frustrated and you want to really push your fingers into your eyes and then comes duality. This thing writes itself. It does write itself. Who needs a story when you've got neat segues like that? Exactly. We could fucking do it. We're going to write a Metal Hammer musical. Anyway, look, enough about that. I don't know why I went off on one about that. That was your fault. That was totally my fault, sorry. Um, the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out now, by the way. It stars the mighty Metallica on the cover, who probably could do a musical. Uh, I did the interview with three of the four horsemen. Uh, it's an exclusive interview where we talk about uh, James's return to rehab and the emotional impact that had on the band. We talk about what they've all been up to in lockdown, uh, including some new music tidbits that they told me that I was very excited about. And we talk about SM2, which is, of course, out now, and people are enjoying that very, very much. Um, so we have a good old chat. And there's excellent interviews and features on the likes of Motorhead, Imperial Triumphant, Oceans of Slumber, who we're going to do the album of the week for later, uh, Avatar, Backwash, who we've talked about a lot, AA Williams, who we've talked about a lot, uh, Code Orange, Mystify, In Flames, Trivium, Napalm, Death, loads of good stuff out right now. Um, head over to tinyurl.com slash buyhammer where you can pick up the issue. And we've also got some really cool uh, new subs deals coming up as well. Uh, if you guys out there are kind of thinking of other ways to support the mag or kind of become full registered members of the Metal Hammer family, uh, the best way to support us is always with a subscription. And we've got some really cool deals on right now, which you can find out at uh, Magazines Direct. Uh, I believe it's a website. Yeah, it is. Magazines Direct is where you want to be um, although I think tinyurl.com slash buyhammer does get you to the, uh, the subscription thing as well. So yeah, always appreciating your lovely support. Uh, oh, I also saw a couple of tracks of the Trivium stream. Did you see any of that, Elle, that happened last week? I kind of hate myself because we talked about it and got excited about it. And then for some reason, I completely forgot it was happening. And I think the problem <laughs> is that I'm not using a calendar right now because... 
there's nothing happening. What is time? Yeah, therefore it just it just completely blanked on it. And I'm really good that I've missed it now. So I actually just bought um, tickets to the Lamb of God live streams, which are happening soon. Um, September, oh, I can't remember the dates. September 25th. I've got them here. Someone, what's the first one? I've got them one? here. Uh, <laughs> weekends of, so yeah, Lamb of God, uh, they're doing two live streams. Uh, one is playing this year's self-titled album. The other is playing 2000, 2004's Ashes of the Wake in full. Um, and uh, it's happening over the weekends of the 18th and the 25th of September. I don't know which one is which, um, but they're filming it at a club in their hometown of Richmond, uh, Virginia. And if you head to metalhammer.com now, you can find all the details for that and the links to go and buy tickets for that and support one of the greatest bands in metal history. Yeah, so I think I would just messed up your flow there, but still, no, Lamb, Lamb of God. So yeah, I just bought tickets for the Lamb of God streams and put the dates in my calendar so now i have to remember to look at my calendar but luckily they are available i think it's until the sunday after transmission and they're on the saturday so i've got a little bit of time if i fuck up and <laughs> miss them but i'm very excited to have tickets for that because lama god are one of the best bands and they are gonna do something cool i'm sure yeah i'm enjoying they got support acts too who i can't remember oh one's uh <laughs> one's bleed from within which is awesome another band that yeah. put out a banger of an album this year Who's the other one? Um, let me look. I'm actually going to take my own advice and check the Metal Hammer website right now to find out. Uh, I think yeah, I've so... got the page open, actually. Uh, Bleed for, so eight, September 18th, the new album performed in full with support from Bleed From Within. And September 25th is Ashes of the Wake performed in full with support from Whitechapel. Nice. Wow, that's going to be really good, good, you know, so... Um, and if you haven't heard that Believe From Within album this year, my God, if, you like, if you're excited about Lamb of Gods, but you haven't heard that Believe From Within album as well, trust me, it is right up your street. We reviewed it earlier this year. Anyway, I messed up seeing Trivium, so please remind me next time something good happens. <laughs> well, will will, will you only, tell me about it, please? I only saw a couple of songs, um, so I didn't tune in live myself, but I kind of just like had a look at some highlights and stuff. Uh, they've, yeah, they played a very cool set. It was like a deep cut, a deep cut set, which is cool um so yeah they played like a few rarities from across their excellent career um but i think that the the thing that uh was i was most interested in seeing was that they played a couple of power trip songs to to pay tribute to riley girl which is really oh, that's nice um they played um uh they played x was it just two they played or they played one yeah they, they played executioner's tax and then they played a bit of soul sacrifice that's it so that was really cool that they did that. Um, we talked about Riley last week. It was a fucking really shitty, shitty loss for the metal scene. Um, so it was really cool that Trivium put that in. Uh, and yeah, they also played uh, kind of, I don't know if you can call them rare cuts if it's off the new album because they've only played stuff off it once. But they played some of the tracks that they hadn't played on the previous stream uh, for the new album as well, which is really cool. So it was a proper kind of career spanning set. So shout out the Trivium guys. They have been absolutely smashing it over lockdown haven't they like maybe the band of lockdown in many ways although i'm sure code orange might have something to say about that <laughs> they would yeah i think jamie would corner you in a corner <laughs> and he does like jujitsu or something as well so i wouldn't want to please don't corner me jamie so does matt heafy let's make them fight they all do it it's great they're all into martial arts make them fight make them fight um i guess the main thing i mean there's other stuff that's happened this week james hetfield's had a snake named after him or something hasn't he and that's a thing devtones have some beer out as well which is cool i would like to try some i don't know if that's possible but it looks nice um but i think the main thing everyone is talking about is is the reading and leeds lineup isn't it 
Um, yeah, so they've got two main stages this year. Yeah. The main stage West and main stage East, which means they've got six headliners. And those headliners are Stormzy, Catfish and the Bottleman, Post Malone, Disclosure, Liam Gallagher and Queens of the Stone Age. So the big controversy here is that there are no female headliners on a mm. six band headlining bill. Yeah, not as far as I know, not a single woman to be found in all of those six bands and artists like throughout the whole lineups. Um, they've announced some other bands that are playing as well. They've got Lewis Capaldi, Two Door Cinema Club, AJ Tracy, who's awesome, The uh, Baby, Doja Cat, Mabel, MK, 100 Gex, Ash Nico. Uh, Ash Nico teamed up with uh, Employed to Serve recently, didn't she? Um, Bida Badoobie, <laughs> uh, who I only know. We were just talking about TikTok before um, before we uh, went on air. And I only know Bida Doobie uh, because she did one of the songs that's gone super viral on TikTok. Um, so good for her. Uh, Fever 333, some rock and metal, yeah. Uh, Lyra, Madison Beer and Sophie Tucker. Um, I can't pretend to listen to a lot of these bands, but I did check out Sophie Tucker and I like them very, very much. If you like dance music, um, not totally dissimilar to Disclosure, actually, some of their stuff, then I really, really recommend that. Um, but yeah, not the most rock lineup they've released. And I guess before we get into the thing about lack of female representation, probably should acknowledge that uh, Rage Against the Machine were booked and they're now not, it seems. Yeah, I'm a bit sad about that. Like, I know that the Reading and Leeds lineup has to reflect what is popular now in a certain demographic they're going to Reading and Leeds and I never want to piss on somebody's chips and say that, you know, oh, they're all rubbish and the world's gone to hell and stuff. But it does make me sad that Queen's the Stone Age and Fever 333 are the only rock adjacent bands on mm. there because rock used to have a huge presence at Reading and Leeds and it's the kind of thing we've talked about many many times before is if you want rock and metal to survive you do need to see it um getting a platform and being in the mainstream and all that so it does make me a little bit sad to have another year where rock's not really represented although maybe there will be a small rock stage you know in the future lineup announcements but yeah it's there's not a lot of for uh, rock and metal here really is there no, there's not. I mean, uh, yeah, they had, because they did actually have the pit slash lockup stages announced previously um, in, the, in the lineup that was supposed to take place this year. So they did have uh, bands like Sleeping in Sirens, Holding Absence, uh, Gallows, The Bronx, Cancer Bats, Narrowhead, Fever 33, who are now playing, Creeper Horror, Black Pete's. Um, so there were, there were, you know, a few rock and metal bands dotted about. Um, uh, yeah but it's a hard one i mean even on that lineup really i don't want to say rage against the machine totally stick out because obviously the nature of their music means that when you've got a main stage lineup that was planned for that day that had like run the jewels and slow tie on it you can see some quite big crossover there like heavier hip-hop and rap acts you know i remember when they, they were announced weren't they people were asking some people were asking who they were like who rage against the machine were well yeah and everyone everyone kind of kicked off because the um Dark Fruits Twitter, as it got, oh, got yeah. was uh, asking why a bunch of goths have been booked to headline Reading, which shows you a lot about where kind of Rage Against the Machine sit, I guess, in the mainstream now. Um, but yeah, lack of rock and metal bands, which is not great. I mean, if you're just into like a ton of different stuff, like we are, and I guess most people are, you know, there's still always loads of stuff at Reading and Leeds that I'm up for seeing. Um, 
you know, if I was going to this festival, I'd be well up for seeing Stormzy again. I like Disclosure. I don't actually like Post Malone, but he's done so much interesting stuff over the last few years. That I'd see, I'd, I would actually quite like to check him out now. Um, Liam Gallagher doing Oasis Bangers is always good. And Queens of the Stone Age were fucking great when I saw them a couple of years ago in Finsbury Park. Still up for seeing them. But um, yeah, serious lack of female representation in those headliners. Uh, the discourse around this has been um, colourful, to say the least, uh, over the last couple of days. We've seen a lot of people building like fantasy lineups and, you know, we've seen many, many things that have had lists of uh, female-centred bands that people think could headline and should headline. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole scenario? Because it's not one that we're, we're kind of not used to with Download as well. It's definitely a problem across music festivals right now. Yeah, it's really disappointing when you just get another festival lineup and you're like, oh, cool, there are no women as the headliners. Oh, great. It's like another year has gone by because you don't want to be having these same arguments year after year after year because it's so boring. And we were saying there's nothing more to say about it now. Like, what do you say after the nth year of having a festival with a lineup where there aren't any women on it, you, there's, you know, you can make the same arguments about representation over and over and over again, and then nothing changes. And then when a lineup comes out, what do you say about it? Apart from, it's really rubbish. We're having to discuss this again. There's still a lack of representation, and there are still systemic problems in the world and the music industry that, you know, conspire to make these things happen. It's really frustrating and. You know, we've talked about before how you can't always have the ideal festival lineup. You don't know who's available. You don't know how much money they cost to book. Um, there are all kinds of factors that play in when you're booking bands. But the fact there's six and there isn't just even one female headliner. Mm. I mean, that, yeah, it's just a bit frustrating really, isn't it? When everyone's talked about it for years and years and years, you surely would have that in mind when you were booking a lineup. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, when I see a lot of the names that are getting thrown about, I'm seeing people mention names like Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish and those kind of names. And you kind of think if Reading thought they could get Billie Eilish and Taylor Swift to play, they probably would. Do you know what I mean? They are yeah, fucking they, massive know, names. Those are names that will just do their own big arena shows and probably don't really want to go play Reading and Leeds. Probably not that commercially viable for them or whatever you know they can make more money doing arena shows well taylor was booked for glastonbury already as well so like she's kind of out of that conversation regardless um and, and often and also yeah when you get artists that big often they'll play glastonbury on top of tours they're already doing whereas reading tend to go for like world exclusives you won't see them anywhere else kind of thing um but but that all said uh i guess it's just reflective of a problem where um there aren't there aren't really enough bands with uh, female members in that are available um, to get booked on regular notice. If you've got kind of a short list, I guess what it comes down to is like if you've got a short list of like say a hundred bands that could headline a festival like Reading and Leeds, um, I imagine not enough of those currently have women in to a point where just by uh, you know, statistical likelihood, you will make sure you will always get them on the bill. So I guess it's about building those bands up to a point where they could be headliners. Do you know what I mean? Like 
it's just so frustrating because you just think some I, I agree with what you said but at the same time if you've got six headliners it would be nice to think that somebody in the festival would go hang on you know we've got six headliners let's make sure at least one of these yeah it does seem mad female, you know because you think you would in 2020 that's definitely something that you should have in your mind yeah you know it's everybody has got to be thinking about representation in 2020 that's just a responsibility you have whatever job you're in mm. and to not be thinking about that is not great and the fact like i said you know i'm aware this is a festival that is has always been for younger people you know you're doing your gcses and a levels and you're going away from home for the first time and you're camping and you're having a great time and we've all been there but and that's even more frustrating because if you're a teenager and you're going to these festivals and you're just seeing a bunch of men on the main stage, it just reinforces that message that it's not for you or that mm. it's not something you aspire to or not something you can achieve, um, even if it's just a subconscious effect. And that's just really, again, in 2020, that's really frustrating. Yeah, it's, I think that's what a lot of people, especially like white men like myself, maybe don't think about. And like a lot of people didn't realise until this became more part of the public discourse is that, this whole thing about like, oh, you can't be tokenistic with representation and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you don't have to think, if you're a white bloke, you don't have to think about that because you've grown up going to festivals completely dominated by white men. So you've never, you don't actually know what it's like to not feel yourself represented. So it just doesn't occur to you that that's like a thing. Of course, if someone looks like you, you're going to feel an affinity with them. Like that's like a really obvious uh, way that this kind of stuff works. But a lot of people don't think about that because it's not something that they've ever had to think about because it doesn't affect them. Um, and uh, it is, it does it, it seem mad that six festival headliners on a lineup, which in Reading's case as well, I mean, you know, we talk about this in metal a lot, but with the, the, the spread of genres that Reading and Leeds cover, like it's not like they're kind of wedded to overwhelmingly white male dominated genres of music do you know what i mean so it's kind of even almost even more surprising that to get to six headliners and not have any women there it just seems like i don't know it's a weird one why didn't somebody think about it <laughs> but you, have to you, could afford, you could afford to have one headliner surely even if they didn't even if you didn't think they'd sell as many tickets you could afford to have one headliner that's not a dude I guess, yeah. And that, I, that's I even saying something because there are plenty of women that will sell tickets. In the mainstream, there are plenty of female artists who make money. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I guess what I, my point that I kind of clumsily tried to make earlier is if you're kind of thinking, look, we fucking need to have some female representation on here. So let's take a punt on a band that deserve it but might not shift enough tickets. I guess the problem could be that who's the band that's playing under that because they have to be a band that's smaller than all the other bands in the same position would be. So I can see why it gets a bit complicated when you kind of start building it like that, but it still seems improbable that it's not possible given, you know, the, the you know, they do pop music, dance music, R and B, hip hop. Like That's the thing, if you, if you just open the charts, for example, on a random week, there's going to be a ton of female artists in there. You know, mm. we don't have a shortage of female artists in the mainstream. We just don't. No, no, you don't. So it's interesting. I'd be very interested to know um, if there was, say, a shortlist, which I presume there always is when you're booking these things, uh, who might have been contacted, who might have been on the table, who could have possibly done it. Um, 
you know, it could, I mean, anybody from the White Stripes to Nicki Minaj could headline Reading, really. So it's an interesting, uh, although I'm aware neither of those are the most kind of up-to-date, like, <laughs> on the polls picks, <laughs> before anyone says anything. I was uh, going to say Cardi B and, uh, yeah. you know, whoever, uh, Megan Lee Stallion, they could just come and do WAP. Just over and over again for <laughs> two hours and just make all the middle-aged gammon blokes explode. But the fact that that's the most talked about pop song of the year, basically, isn't it? Or at least during lockdown. Yeah. Like I said, there are a lot of women out there creating. So why aren't they in the festival? It's a really, really weird one. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see if it's something Reading, Reading cover and talk about. You know, we know with downloads, we have a lot of debates about representation at downloads and kind of giving younger bands a chance at download. And I know that Andy Copping is someone who normally not too afraid to kind of feel this kind of stuff i don't know what happens when it comes to reading i'd be interested to see if we see this debate properly opened up in a productive way where it's kind of acknowledged but we can also i guess work out the best way to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen again because you know we're in the rock media we are we play a part in this kind of stuff as well uh, everyone needs to make sure that we're doing our best to give different bands and artists a chance to shine and and get bigger and and start heading up these festival sets um but yeah i mean we're kind of in a position now where if we if we do like a, a cover with a few bands on it and we end up looking at that and it's not got a single woman on there we'd, we'd feel like we fucked up somewhere because like we know that even in the metal scene which is famously white and male that that's not actually representation of how many different people are in the metal scene so you kind of think surely it's possible to get six headliners at Reading and Leeds with one yeah. woman in somewhere, <laughs> just somewhere. Yeah, it's not good. It's a weird one. We will see what happens. I know plenty of the lineup is yet to be uh, yet to be revealed, um, but uh, I imagine this is a debate that will go on and on and on. Uh, but Sophie Tucker's really good. Go check them out. Uh, the album of the week this week uh, is one of um well i think it's one of the best metal albums of 2020 would you go that far al or it's really good like you can tell how much craft and how much energy and how much emotion has gone into this record yeah i think it's absolutely stupendous um it is the self-titled album by the majestic oceans of slumber uh one of the coolest and most exciting young bands that we have covered uh here at metal hammer in quite some time it feels weird that they've kind of been on the scene in quite a big way for four years now um they've been around for a lot longer than that but it was kind of when cami joined the band the singer cami uh, gilbert that they really took off um 2006's album winter was something of a breakthrough moment for them that was when we first started covering them for instance and i know they started getting a lot more coverage around the scene um, that's a fantastic album as well they followed that up with 2018's the banished heart which again was a great record i thought it wasn't as good as winter i felt it um didn't quite hit me emotionally in the same way what did you think of the last record i prefer the last record to all the other records is that your favorite one yeah interesting okay well maybe we can talk about uh why then um well for me anyway this new album the self-titled it's out this friday on century media for me this is the personally this is my favorite thing oceans of summer has, has ever done um i think it's the album where they've perfectly reached that middle ground between interesting, expansive, 
and heavy as well, heavy songwriting. There's a lot of really heavy stuff on here, um, but also really hitting those emotional beats that just pull at your heartstrings, get your tear tucks going, um, all that kind of stuff. So for me, this is like the perfect mixture of everything that I love about Oceans of Slumber on one album. What do you think of this record now? As someone who did the excellent feature that's in our new issue, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you've not heard Oceans of, uh, Oceans of Slumber before, uh, they mix progressive metal with extreme metal. So there's loads of different kind of stuff in there. There are kind of quiet passages. Then there's like, you know, a few seconds later, there'll be some double kick. Then there'll be like a massive riff. Then there'll just be like a piano part. It really kind of goes up and down through the genres. And like you said, Mel, it's really heavy emotionally as well as musically. It's not particularly easy listening. Although having said that, Cammy's voice is amazing. It's really strong and um, she's brilliant to listen to. There's a lot in this new record about depression, but there's also a lot in it about love. And you mentioned Cammy's obviously the singer and the drummer is a guy called Dobber. And before this record was done, all the members left the band apart from those two. And they're also a couple. So there's kind of a lot in there about struggle and difficulty, but there's a lot of hope in there as well, because they've obviously been um, a great source of strength to each other through difficult times. And it's just really uh, good and really, really heavy. And it just kind of runs the emotional spectrum and it does switch. Like I said, it switches quite a lot between genres, but it does feel cohesive. And you just have bits where you're like, wow, that's a really awesome riff or that's a really awesome feel or like whatever it is, there are highlights in it that are just really powerful. Yeah, I think that is very succinctly put. Um, there's a lot of emotion on this album. There's always a lot of emotion, but you can see there's a lot of kind of stuff being processed through this record. Um, and and it, as usual, kind of Cammy's very much the center point of this like she's just got such a wonderful voice that really drives these songs but there's other stuff in there as well uh that's just really interesting um i love the kind of rumbling doom metal kind of vibe that underpins a lot of these tracks that's like mm. quite a big thing for me on the first track soundtrack to my last day um it's a, it's basically like a progressive doom metal song but with this really wonderful soulful melodic voice over the top of it um Oh, there's just tons of great songs on here. I mean, Pray for Fire, I think they've released that one now. That's been out a few weeks, but I just love the melodies on that. They're so heartbreaking. It's got that, it's got that hook of uh, when you left me in the darkness, um, I had to find my own flame or something like that. And it's just such a wonderfully delivered line and it's done in such a way where it just kind of, I almost feel like what I love about this album is that these songs will kind of just uh, not meander, but they'll kind of like explore and roll and grow, like ebb and flow. And then sometimes out of nowhere, they'll just drop this like really fragile, beautiful um, harmonic moment or this lyric or something. And it just totally gut punches you. I think Pray for Fire, that's the one as well that sounds like it's from Game of Thrones or something. There's this bit where Cammy's voice just gets really, really dramatic and she starts like intoning things and you're like, whoa, this is yeah. track two. Hold on there. <laughs> yeah, hold on there. Uh, and also that track, uh, Pray for Fire, ends in um, that really cool like kind of death doom rumble, uh, which I really love. Um, like the, this, this album goes really fucking heavy at some points and sometimes it's a little bit unexpected. Uh, the lead single was A Return to the Earth Below, so that's been out there a while, but that's a great track. Um, 
it's not easy to make kind of five, six, seven, eight minute prog metal songs catchy. But I think this is a really good example of doing that where it's not uh, a kind of obvious, easy hook. But once you've listened to it, it does stick in your head. And as soon as you listen to it again, you just remember where all the beats are. I think that's really intelligent songwriting to manage to do that. Um, I love the start of the track, The Adorned Fathomless Creation, because it's got that warped backwards um, thing, like kind of satanic oh, yeah. sounding bit. And yeah. then it just like flips into this heavy fucking death metal riff. That's just awesome. Um, I love that. Uh, I love To The Sea as well. It's got these kind of big kind of like, almost like chimey kind of sound effects in the background that makes it sound quite ethereal and weird, which I quite like. Um, do you know who the, the, the clean male vocals are on this album? Um, I don't, because yes, the track The Colours I of... I can't remember now. Oh, okay. There's a track, The Colours of Grace, that have some clean male vocals on that are really nice, and they create a really nice dynamic with Cami um, that works really well. Uh, I love that as well. Um, again, the track I'm on, These Yellowed Leaves, uh, has kind of more death metal growls on it, and uh, these, it's got this kind of bit where... Cammy's singing along these like super fast trigger drums that like I haven't heard many bands do that that well before. Opeth have kind of done it before where it's like the vocals are really slow and melodic but they're going over this fucking hell for leather like drum rolls that just make it sound uh, you know equal parts emotional but also heavy as fuck at the same time which is just awesome um, and I think that this band do it better than anyone else. Um, I was trying to find another band to compare it to, but I just couldn't avoid it. The track September, those who come before, it's like a piano instrumental. Sounds really fucking Evanescence. And I mean that as an absolute compliment because it's just kind of like, kind of, yeah, like poppy kind of goth metal kind of piano song. Literally none of the rest of the record is anything like Evanescence though, just in case that's putting people off. No, I was, I was nervous about referencing that because I was like, oh, they're going to get the wrong idea of what the song is. But Basically, it's an instrumental that just comes towards the end of the record that's on the piano, and it sounds nice. It sounds like My Immortal. Um, <laughs> no, it's really, really, really good. It's really fucking good. Evanescence are cool anyway, don't hate. Uh, but yeah, the rest of the album is far more in the ballpark of Opeth and that kind of stuff. But for me, with an even more emotional, soulful underpinning to it. Um, You've not even mentioned the typo negative cover. I was just going to do that. And then it ends in a, uh, obviously they've done a cool few cover, a few cool covers over the years. Their version of Nights in White Satin is stunning if you've never heard it. Um, and yeah, then they do a typo negative cover, which I'm ashamed to admit, I'm not familiar enough with typo negative to no- immediately know the song when they started playing it. But once it rolled in, I was like, this must be a cover song because it sounds so different to everything else on the album. And then when I really thought about it, I was like, this must be a typo song because it sounds goth metal as fuck. And lo and behold, uh, it is indeed a cover Frozen. of Wolfman. Oh, you just froze for me then. Now you're back. Have I? Yeah. Oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. Don't oh, no. I'm still here, guys. Um, I was just saying that uh, I thought it was a cover when I heard it. And then um, I thought this must be a typo negative cover. And then I went and looked it up. And it is indeed a cover of Wolfmoon by typo negative. It is. I would have popped right away about loving women and the song before it the red flower is something that oceans of slumber wrote which goes with that song so if you ever listen to them both together you'll see how they link ah <laughs> lovely but yeah i love this record um i love this band i think they deserve to be heard far and wide and i mean they've never done anything that's been anything other than really good really but 
for me this is my favorite album they've done and um as i said i think everything that makes this band great is kind of perfectly woven together on this record and it is one of my very very favorite metal albums of 2020 i will be very surprised if it doesn't end up in my top five of the year any closing statements from ul no it's just really good um set aside some time because it is a lot to digest yeah that's a good point it's It's a long album it's a long album and it's yeah there's a lot in it yeah it's literally like an hour and 20 minutes so like if you're not sure, shave off the typo cover and then just listen to the rest of the proper album. <laughs> hey! It's a really good cover, but, uh, you know, I, it's very rare that I uh, an album this long will end up in my top 20 of the year, but this is going to be right up there because it is that good. <laughs> Out Friday via the uh, Ace Century Media Records. Uh, should we do some reader questions? Facebook.com sure. Facebook.com slash Melhammer Readers is the place to be. John Haylock asks, where do you think Rage Against the Machine will end up playing next year following the Reading Festival announcement? Also, is Knotfest likely to happen? Not a lot of info ever appeared for that show. Don't know and don't know. Um, As we said earlier, we're very sad that Rage didn't end up returning for Reading and Leeds. I don't know what that really means. Um, I'm also gutted because I I think it might mean that Run the Jewels aren't playing either because they were they were on that whole global tour with rage so hopefully both those bands will reappear together at some point but i guess we'll just have to wait and see and mm. don't know re not best either to be honest don't know what the situation is there um i know that they kind of postponed the cruise and then they just cancelled the cruise um i think we're all just gonna have to carry on being patient really until we know what the fuck's going on with everything before we can pin down certain bands and all the rest of it yeah, it's interesting with Knotfest how they've kept it alive with like the Knotfest platform and doing stuff online, but there's no indication is there about the future of live shows when it comes to Knotfest because everything's still so up in the air. Yeah, totally. Um, we will find out at some point, I'm sure. Speaking of Slipknot, Alistair Belling says, would Stone Sour be anything without Corey Taylor? Oh, controversial. Controversial thoughts? Well, I'm going to say I'm not sure because I think... Corey Taylor was probably the reason they got a record deal. I'm not saying the music's not good, more that you it's difficult to come to the attention of a record label, you know, in this century. So the fact that Corey was fronting the band and it's his band from the old days and he's so famous as Slipknot, you can't help but that think you can't help but think that landed them the record deal. And with a record deal, you can then progress in the way that they have in a kind of conventional release an album do a tour sort of a way and if Corey hadn't been in the band they might not have got the attention from well I think they're on Roadrunner which is the same Slipknot so they might not have got a record deal and they might have just kind of stayed as a local band but I have no idea like you know you'd have to go back in time and erase Corey Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a moot point though isn't it because it was Corey's band to start with. That, that's a pre-Slipknot band. Yeah, so good like, point. Good it's point. not like he kind of just joined them and then made them big. Like so They were his first band, weren't they? Well, not first band, but he was in them before he was in Slipknot. Yeah, exactly. So like the thing of would Stone Sour be anything without Corey Taylor, you might as well ask if Slipknot would be anything without Corey Taylor. So the answers to both is that they would be totally unrecognisable and there's a very good chance that they wouldn't be where they are today. 
Um, obviously, Stone Sour have got way more attention to Corey because he was already famous when he kind of resurrected them and made a thing out of them again. But to be honest, I mean, if you look at Stone Sour's numbers now, they're a big fucking band in their own right. And I'm not really convinced that you can say they're only a big band now because of Slipknot. Like, I don't listen to Stone Sour a whole bunch. And I know p- people that like Stone Sour and don't listen to Slipknot a whole bunch. So I Hopefully. think it's a bit of a, bit of a moot argument now, to be honest. That's why I think, though, if they had formed in some way without Corey Taylor, it would just totally depend on whether they got signed or not. Mm. Or if they had, like, some amazing independent promotional plan for themselves because there are so many bands that are so talented but without the right kind of investment and promotion they just can't get anywhere so yeah totally but stone sour is certainly not a bad band you know they've been very successful done some good albums i played bother on the radio show a couple of weeks back still love that too (laughs) well that has obviously helped make their name you know (laughs) you're welcome Corey. (laughs) was bother their first single uh, no, get inside was their first single. Yeah, get inside. Get inside. Nothing uh, as good as thirty thirty one fifty. That's a good tune as well. I think it's probably worth pointing out though that actually the the further away from from uh, Slipknot that Stone Sour have got musically, the bigger they've got. I think because mm. like their last that last album had so little Slipknot in it whatsoever that I just think again it's a bit of a moot point even thinking about it. If you look at the chart positions, they've just gone up in like the US and the UK. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad to have them both. As someone that just wants big heavy rock bands to do well. <laughs> I'm happy yeah, I take anything basically. Yeah. Bring it all on. Uh, Mark Baker, uh, you take this one out because it's an all important debate. All right. Mark Baker asks, hot dogs or burgers? Surely no one's picking hot dogs. I am. What? I don't like burgers. What? But burgers can be so many different things. A hot dog can't really, can it? Oh, well, I was thinking of beef burgers because I like beef mince, like if it's a lasagna or a bolognese or something, but I don't like lumps of beef. Oh, no, I like steak as well, but I don't like it if it's just a beef burger. I just don't like beef burgers. That's I, know that's, I know that's unreasonable. <laughs> well, if I'm opening it all up, um, I do like a hot dog as well, but like a burger whether it's a beef burger or i mean these days like i'm more likely to have a veggie burger than a beef burger to be honest because there's so so good options out there now but um if you're opening it all up like that is it possible to have a sausage burger (laughs) yeah it is if you put a sausage yeah just pick burgers wouldn't you as your option knowing that you could have a sausage burger that was the same as a hot dog but a different shape well then you could put a burger patty in a hot dog bun not if it's a hot dog because a hot dog is like a sausage is it? It's, it's not a hot dog without the bun, though, surely? Oh, we had this discussion, didn't we? And I actually said it was a hot dog without the bun because I was trying to prove a point. This was a few weeks ago. Well, I don't know. It's got to be burgers, man. Like, so many more options there. A hot dog, I know you can technically have, like, oh, you could do, like, a beef sausage or a veggie sausage, but it's basically a long thing in a bun with whatever toppings. Whereas a burger, I just feel like it's way more options there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a coincidence that most restaurants and pubs have quite extensive burger menus and not extensive hot dog yeah but i think burger just means beef burger and i'm not having that i'd have a chicken burger i'd take a chicken burger over a hot dog but a hot dog over a beef burger all right 
that's a very fair and democratic approach and i respect it <laughs> uh, stats rabinovitz asks what became of alice i miss her gloom uh, alice left metal hammer a few months back um kind of around the start of lockdown actually uh, but she is not on the podcast anymore but you can still read her words in most issues of metal hammer i know she did a review uh, or two in the next issue i can't remember what she did but i know that she's in there so she's still part of the metal hammer family don't worry about that uh, and we do of course still have the one and only thing jonathan coming in to represent for the uh the true metal underground people out there which me and l probably aren't the best to do so that's what we get jonathan in. <laughs> jonathan's more good at the extreme and nebulous things where it's about making your soul transform into a black void exactly um so yeah he'll be back very very soon don't you worry about that uh that is it for this week's show thanks for joining us everybody don't forget to go pick up the latest issue if you can or chuck us a subscription if you want to kind of commit uh to the metal hammer family moving forward we've got loads of fun stuff coming up in the magazine on the website and on this very podcast coming soon so we'll see you all very soon goodbye everybody goodbye